Get your Bibles out. All right. And throw it open to um, Old Testament, Psalms 89. Find Psalms 89. <clears throat> now, I'm going to start a message this morning, and, and uh, it's probably going to be, it's, it's going to be like, I don't know, a couple of weeks. But I'm just going to give you the introductory this morning. Of course, I have a lot, of, lot to cover. But, uh, you know, I, I've told you all this, I've tried to teach you this, that over the years, you know, to, 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 to look, always look for God in everything. Look for God in everything that's going on. I mean, if, you, if your heart's right and you're really seeking the Lord, you can find God in everything. And so the other day I, I had on the radio, or the, uh, for some reason in my truck, every time I start my truck, the radio comes on. And I never have figured out how to make that stop doing it, but it just does it. And so the radio came on, and uh, and there was a song on, and I'd never heard it. And so then I had to turn it up because I, I was listening to the voice of this person singing. And uh, then I started laughing because I got all inspired. I heard the song, heard the first two lines, and I was like, oh, my, I can preach that. This is going to work. And I started taking notes. I started writing stuff down right then. And so I'm not trying to promote this singer. I don't know anything about him, really. And so I, but I'm just telling you what the song was. It's a guy named Jelly Bean. Anybody ever heard of Jelly Bean in here? Jelly Roll, that's right. Jelly Roll, thank you. See, you know, not Jelly Bean. I was thinking I'm hungry. I was about Jelly Beans. I actually wrote Jelly Bean down here. Jelly Roll, y'all, oh, so you heard that, and there's a song he sang, and it was just called Need a Favor, and so the first line says, I only talk to God when I need a favor, and I only pray when I ain't got a prayer, and that hit me, and I was like, oh my gosh, that is so horrible, no, 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 I'm saying, don't, don't, don't steal my thunder here, don't preach my message, y'all just chill over here, chill in this section, so when I heard that, I said, oh, my gosh, that's so horrible, you know. And if you go listen to the rest of the song, it all come, fits in, and it all is good, and it's pointing towards Jesus, and it's good. But when I heard that, I thought to myself, because, see, I've been praying, and I've been asking the Lord to give me John 4.35 eyes. I want harvest eyes. I want eyes that can see the harvest, eyes of what's really going on, eyes to understand what's taking place. And if you look into the world right now, you can see more than more and more and more, there's just a dividing line appearing that's going to get so obvious, all right? It's going to get so obvious to everyone that there is, it's either your own, this side or that side, all right? There's going to be no in between. There's going to be no fence to be shaking off, right? And right now, if you notice, which I... I, I, I don't know, I, I kind of have to chuckle because I don't understand all the time the devil's strategy. But now there's, you don't hear much talk about, as much talk about LGBT, Black Lives Matter, all this, because everything has gone to the war in Israel and, and the Palestinians, right? Or Hamas. The war is between Israel and Hamas. Just understand that. The war is not between Israel and Palestine. The war is between Israel and Hamas, a terrorist organization who took over the Palestinian country or settlement or whatever you want to call it, and, and then went in there and did what they wanted to do to set things up in an evil manner. All right? But now it's all, it's all about 
Israel's bad, Palestinians are good, which include Hamas, which include the terror attacks. And have you noticed it used to just be like you were kind of like, well, I, and I'm not talking about that conflict. I'm talking about things going on in the world. It's just like, you know, like a Republican and a Democrat arguing a point. You're kind of like, well, I can kind of see both sides. Now it's like, no, no, we need to murder and kill everybody, chop the heads off, kill everybody you possibly can. I mean, it's getting way out there, right? The line that says what right and wrong is getting way out there. It's, it's like, boom, it's obvious. Everything's getting back. All the brush is being cut out from under it. And you can obviously see there's a line between good and evil. All right? Now, I'm telling you, and I've been telling you this for years, this is a, a move of God. Whether you see it as a move of God or not, I know it looks like a bad thing, but I'm telling you, God is moving. Hear me. God is moving. Across the world, more Christians are being persecuted than any other faith. All right? There's, there's, there's more persecution going on. It doesn't get reported. You don't see it in the news. It's not out there that the, you know, 100,000 Christians that were dis, uh, dispersed in Abraham, they're just taken out. You don't hear nothing. Nobody says anything about those guys. Why? Because there's a purpose and a reason. But there is a move of God going on, folks. At the same time, there's more people getting saved, more people getting healed, more people being touched. The revival is in lands of Christian faith is growing. More people are turning. They're trying to persecute it, but they're growing. It's like Israel in the Old Testament. The more they got persecuted, the more they grew. All right? And so I've been praying. I said, Lord, but what about us? Because, folks, listen to me. I, I mean, I'm not living in these places. I live here. This is what we live with. Okay? We, we, we're in a drought. We're, we're dealing with predators and, and, and low water. And you know what I'm saying? This is, this is what we deal with right here. We're, we're country folk. Ain't nobody protesting down the street. And so I've been praying, Lord, what about us? What about us? What about us? What are we to look for? What are we to see? What do you want us to be doing? What is our, our, our purpose, our, 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 you know, what we've got to get vested in? Are you all with me? Okay. So when I heard this song, back to old Jelly Roll. Let me change his name because I got him in his jelly bean. All right. Now I'm all good. Okay. So when I heard a song about need a favor and I heard that first line, I only talk to God when I need a favor, and I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. It was like that's what the Holy Ghost erupted on the inside of me. He says, that's where so many people that you're around are. They're only going to pray when they don't have a prayer. There's not a way they can get out. They're only going to talk to God when they're needing a favor. And that's where so many people are at in their Christian walk now. Myself, I was raised in a denominational church. I'm not knocking the denominations. I'm not trying to knock churches. I'm just saying, this is how I was raised. And as a young man, I went to church. I went to church because my parents told me I was going to go to church. And I went to church until I was 18. And 18, I left the house, got my own house, lived away from my parents, and I never went back to church again. Okay? Not because I was a bad person. I just never saw that it was relative. I never saw I had a faith and a belief in God and Jesus and heaven and hell, but I did not have a relationship. I was this person. I'd only talk to God if I needed a favor 
We're going to talk to God about business. We're going to talk to God about my life. We're going to talk to God about how to, how to keep my heart right. We're going to talk to God about anything. I was just doing my life, living my life, trying to figure out what I wanted to accomplish in life. And that's how I was living. And I had no relationship with God. Okay? And that's the way I lived. But listen to me. I want to tell you something right now that is, to me, it's like, Shocking revelation, all right, that I never thought of. From the moment that you were conceived in the womb of your mother, from that very moment, at that very second, that conception took place. You were set on a road and a destiny to meet God. Psalms 89, 48 is where I was going. Psalms 89, 48 says, What man can live and not see death. Can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? In other words, at that point that you were conceived, there was a destiny and a date that was coming up that you were going to die. He said, oh, how negative. That's so negative. That is so negative. No, I'm not trying to put a negative spin on it. I'm trying to tell you the positive spin. That day you were conceived, there was an appointment, a destiny for you to meet God. Now, every human being on this earth, I don't care where you are or what language you speak, you're going to meet God in one of two places. You're either going to meet Him in the 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, judgment seat of Christ, because you are a Christian and have given your life to Jesus, okay? And that's where you will go. Or you're going to meet him at the Revelation 20, verse 11, great white throne judgment. But no matter what, every human being on the face of this earth that has been born, ever lived on this earth, ever been conceived in their mother's womb is going to meet God in one of those two places. The judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment. No one's going to get away from it. There's not going to be another section for people who believe differently. If you believe your Bible's true, if you believe it is the Word of God, the Holy Word of God, inspired by God, then that is what it says. No way around it. So then, it's interesting to me that we, we, we as we grow up, you know, I mean, at first all there is is just trying to survive the playground. As you're a kid, and, and, and knock out the pecking orders. And then you get older, and then you get into sports, let's say. And then all of a sudden, sports is it everything, and you're doing that. And then it's girls. Speaking from a man's perspective. And then, then, then it's, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe you got college. Or then it's marriage. And then it's children. And then there's children, and then, you're, then the children, are, they're starting it over. Your children are starting it over. Now they're going through the playground scene, the sports scene. Oh, the college scene. Oh, they're going into the marriage scene. You with me? And then we start thinking about what supposedly is a lie from the very pit of hell, the golden years. Well, what they don't tell you about the golden years is, yes, you don't have as much responsibility with all the children and all stuff like that, but you're too tired to do anything. Okay, so that's a lie from the pit of hell. Anyway. 
So you, and then it's retirement. You see what I'm saying? We, we've got all these goals. But is anybody looking for the goal that you've got to meet God? Why isn't that the number one goal? Because you're going to have to meet it because like it said in Psalms 89, you are not going to get away from death. Oh, we can exercise. We can make our bodies healthier. We can, you know, uh, choose by our diet and whatever else to live longer. But you're still going to face death. Ain't nobody going to live past and say, oh, I've made it. Oh, I've, I've arrived into I'm in perfect health. I'm going to live on the earth the rest of my life. No, you're going to die and you're going to go to heaven or hell. You're going to go to one of the... Why isn't that the most important thing? Why don't we teach our children this? Why don't we say, look, someday you're going to die, and so you better be right with God. But we say, oh, well, that's a personal thing. You shouldn't be talking about that. There should be... That should be taught in school. And we try, but, you know, so many times we candy coat it. We try to smooth it up and just say, oh, you know, da, da, da. but it's the truth. Folks, it's a, it's a reality. We all know people that were, were taken short in life. In my own class, graduating class, we had a kid that never did anything wrong. He never went out. Not that I did anything wrong. But he didn't hang with me. He didn't go out with us. He didn't do the things that we were doing that we shouldn't have been doing. He kept his nose clean. He graduated with high honors, he was a very smart kid, he, he, he was just good. And after graduation, he went out one night and went with a guy, and first time I ever knew that he went out, I don't remember what he went to, a dance or something, went out and came home late, and the truck turned over and he was killed. And of all the times, I, see, I'm just, what am I talking about? Let me just say, i got to get off of this because it just makes me look worse and worse, but thank God for redemption. But all the times in life, I should have been turned over in a ditch. But by the grace of God, I made it. All right, okay. But no matter who you are or what time of life, we're all going to face death. And I'm not trying to make this as a negative. I'm trying to make it as a positive. My goodness gracious, if you turn yourself on and you get to the revelation that you're going to have a relationship, that you're not just calling God up for a favor, praying when there is no prayer. You're talking to God because you know you're going to meet him. He's your creator. He is your heavenly father. He is the one that sent his son to save you. He's the one that redeemed you from hell. Woo, man. And you're going to meet him someday. That's all positive. You see what I'm saying? Because people think death is negative, but it's positive. Oh, this is so good. It excites me so much. So Jeremiah, go to Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. Jeremiah 9, 23. It says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. So God says, if you, or Jeremiah prophesying here says, if you want to do what's the best, the most important thing, if you know God, that's better than all the other things you could ever accomplish and achieve in life. But do we teach people this? Do we teach people this? Do we teach them, look, look, oh, it's okay to be a successful businessman, but if you don't know God, you're not a success. So we got a world spinning out of control right now. You got friends who are 
in dire straits. And what do they need to know? Look, you may have lived your life to this point focusing upon the wrong thing. And you need to correct your vision and know so you don't just be like old Jelly Roll's song. Got it right that time. Old Jelly Roll's song, I only am going to be talking to God when I need a favor. I'm only going to be saying a prayer when there ain't no prayer. I don't stand a chance. Because we have to have a relationship with the living God. And the more you have of a relationship with him, well, then you know what? Okay, well, then you're in the right, going in the right direction. Okay, now I want to start this story in 1 Samuel 4.1. That was just like the little bit of an introduction. Just trying to get you headed and thinking in the right direction. 1 Samuel 4, chapter 1, I'll read this story to you. And i got to read a little bit, so please stay with me. It says, And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped by Apek. And the Philistines put themselves in battle array against the Lord, against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of the enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, were there, And the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the the Lord came into the camp, all of Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does the sound of the great shout of the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe is us. For such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us! Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they had been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hopni and Phinehas, died. Wow, what a story. You talk about, you talk about, about Israel just like, well, Lord, we need a favor. <gasps> Go get the ark. Let's bring the ark into the camp. It wasn't because they had a relationship with God that they wanted God to come in there. It was because they were looking for parlor tricks. They were looking for an edge. They said, oh, we just need a favor. So they they turned to the God of Israel. I mean, it was the Ark of the Covenant, folks. And here come, oh, the, 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 the sons of the, the high priest 
with the Levites bringing the ark in there. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, now it'll work because we got that box back there. But they did not have a relationship. They didn't even understand the principles of God and what they were doing. And people are praying. I see it all the time. People say, well, I don't understand why God did this. Or I don't understand why God's doing this. Or I don't. Well, folks, listen to me. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you even understand God? Are you just looking for another parlor trick? Just bring in the ark and everything. Well, I'll get delivered and everything will be okay. You can't go to church. I remember one time a person. I remember one time a person said, "Look, I, I, I understand. I heard what you're preaching about this tithing thing, but tithing don't work." I said, "Really? Huh, it's news to me." They said, "Yeah, it don't work." He said, "I went to church the other day, tithing. I didn't see nothing happen." I said, "Oh, okay, one time." Yeah, I said, "All right, well." Whatever. What I'm saying to you is that's all the relationship you've got. That you have no real fellowship with with Almighty God. You don't really understand his plans, his purposes, what's taking place, what's going on. Well, folks, you're going to get lost in life. It's going to get real hard, and you're going to come up and be saying things like, I don't know if that's God or the devil. You ever think about that? You look at something, you say, man, I don't know, if, is that God or the devil? Well, folks are absolutely opposites. It should be easy to know what would be God and what would be the devil. Right? And so we got people in there today, we, we got absolutely demonic things going on, and people are sitting there saying, yeah, but, you know, there was reason for them to act like that. No, there wasn't. There's never any reasons to go out and kill babies and cut their heads off. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care how hard you've been abused and whatever might have taken place. There ain't no call for that. Hello? Can I have a better amen? amen. I just want to make sure y'all are in agreement with me, okay? So, so this is what they've done. They've gone in there. Now the ark's been taken. Now, do you notice the Philistines in that story? I like them in this case, okay? They looked at each other and said, man, what's going to happen? Oh, my gosh, this is the God that part of the Red Sea, this is the God that defeated all the Egyptians. And he's coming in there and they said, we don't know what to do, but buddy, just fight with all you got. Go out there and just, because if not, we're going to be servants of the, of the, of the Jews, of, of Israel. And so you might as well just go, just get in the battle and just fight with everything you got, because you ain't got no choice. Right? And they win. So then they got the ark. Now the enemy of of Israel, the enemy that, you know, has always been Israel's enemy, has the ark, has the presence of God, has the, the, the symbol, the, the whole, everything that represents God Almighty, the enemy's got it. So now go to 1 Samuel 6, verse 1. I got to do a little more reading, so stay with me. Now, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines for seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us how we should send it to its place. So they said, Well, if you send it away, the ark of, the, of, of, the, of Israel, do not send it into you, but by, by means return it to him with a trespass offering. And then it, you will be healed. So... In chapter 5, it tells all about the plagues that came upon all the Philistine cities that took place. And they would take the ark, and their city would get infested with rats. And I'm just telling you, I'm not trying to be ugly or, or whatever here, uh, but it's just the truth. you got to go look at it. you got to go look it up. They were 
plague with rats and hemorrhoids. I mean, just go look it up. It's the truth. The whole city got hemorrhoids at one time. And so the people would get it out and say, get rid of it. It's the ark, and they'd send the ark out, and they'd go to the next town. The rats and the hemorrhoids would hit them. And then they sent it to the next town. They kept doing this for seven months, everybody trying to get rid of the ark. And finally they said, what are we going to do with it? We've got to get rid of this thing. This thing's killing us. And so he said, well, this is what you're going to do. The priest comes and says, um, take a trespass offering and return to him. He says, okay, so take five golden hemorrhoids and five golden rats, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for the same plague was on all of you and on the lords, and you shall make images of the, of the hemorrhoids and the images of the rats that you ravage the land, and you shall give glory to God of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you and from, the, and from your gods and from your land. And then you will... You, when then do you harden your hearts as if the Egyptians or Pharaoh hardened their hearts? And when they did mighty things among them, they did not let the people go that they might depart. So see, they're knowing the story. The Philistines are understanding the story of Israel more than Israel is understanding the story of Israel. So he says, now therefore make a new cart, put two milk cows that have never been yoked and hitch, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home away from them. Then take the ark of the Lord, set it on it, and put the articles of the gold which you're uh, going to return the trespass offerings in a chest beside it. Then send it away and let it go. And watch, and if it goes up the road of its own territory to Beth Shemesh, then it'll, it'll be done. Uh, then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then you shall know that it is not your hand that struck us that happened this day by chance. So they, they, they got this idea. They put it on a new cart to take two milk cows, take the calves away from them. They put it on there and say, look, if it goes off away from their calves that are in the stall, then truly God is doing this. Okay? And so it works. The two cows go off down the road bawling for their calves with the Ark of the Covenant in a new cart with their box of golden trinkets. Okay? So the cows head off, they go over the hill, they go to the next town over there that, that belonged to the Israelites. And so it says, And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was in it, which in all the articles, and, and then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. And they took the golden things out, and they did all of that. And then it goes on down, and it says, But they just... I'm adding this, I'm paraphrasing. They just couldn't leave it alone. They couldn't leave well enough alone. And so um, they took, and the, the men of the city wanted to see what was in the ark, and they slid the lid over. And God broke out upon them and killed a whole bunch of them. It's a crazy story, right? Again, they had no fellowship with God. There was no one that stood up and said, ah, guys, I'd leave that box alone. Nobody should touch it but the Levites, and that shouldn't be carried on a cart. It should have been carried on the shoulders of the Levites with some rods. Don't touch it. That's the presence of God. We shouldn't even be looking at it, but we got to do something with it. Somebody should have fallen down and said, God, have mercy on us. We don't really want to touch the ark, but we know we need to get it off this cart because them cows are looking kind of waspy. They didn't do it. And so then the men get scared. And if you go to chapter 7, I'm in 1 Samuel 7, 1. And it says, And the men of 
Kidra Jerem came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and he consecrated Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. All right. So the Bible gives us no indications of why they chose Abinadab. But if you had just seen 50,000 people get killed by sliding the lid off the ark, would you want that box in your house? So the Bible doesn't tell us about Abinadab. Doesn't tell us anything about him other than the ark went to his house. <clears throat> okay? And it was in his house for 20 years. He said he put his son to keep the ark. And <clears throat> they may have been of Levitical origin. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us. Or they may have put it in the garage and put a, put a sheet over it. And uh, Eliezer just walked out there every now and to make sure the sheet was up. I don't know. Okay, the Bible doesn't tell us. So I can't really elaborate. But all I can tell you is for 20 years it was in his house and nothing happened. Now, if you go over to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Now, y'all just hang with me. I'm telling you all this because i got to build this in you because I'm going to go on from here. Got 76 points. You'll be through in time to go to the gathering tonight. <clears throat> Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. Then David gathered all the choice men of Israel. Now this is David's 20 years later. <coughs> Excuse me. David's going to go get the ark because he wants the ark in Jerusalem. He gathers all the choice men of Israel, 30,000, and David arose and he went with all the people who were with him from Bel Judah to bring up the ark of God whose name, is, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of the Lord on a new cart. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. And using Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out to the house of Abinadab which is on the hill. I just saw something in there that I've missed for years. Yuzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab. So then Yuzah and Ohio had been around the ark. Wasn't new to them. They brought it out of the house of Abinadab. I was going, okay. And they accompanying the ark of God. They, Ohio went before the ark, and David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all the kinds of instruments, of fir, wood, harps, and stringed instruments on the tambourines and cisterns and the cymbals and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor Yuzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled and then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Yuzah and God struck him there for his error and he died there by the ark of God now David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Yuzah and he called the name of the place Yuzah to this day and David was afraid of the Lord that day and he said how can we how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him to the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now, why didn't they take it back to, to Abinadab's house? I mean, just think of this whole deal. What I'm trying to say to you and what I'm, the point I'm trying to make and drive home today, and I pray I'm not boring you and you're already hungry and thinking about lunch, is that these people had no relationship with God. If Yusuf and Abinadab had been in there with the ark, do you think they should have studied about the ark? But they put it on a new cart just like it came to them. 
but nobody investigated that it was never supposed to be put on a new cart. They only did what they saw it come in. They never walked and developed a relationship with God. So when times came, like don't touch it if you're not a Levite, they didn't know it and they died. And what I'm afraid of is, is there's too many Christians in the world today, too many Christians all over the United States that we've been the great, you know, great nation of, of, of godly people and all of a sudden we don't know God. And there's people out there, they don't know God. They don't know what He's doing. They don't know what's taking place. They don't see what's coming. They don't know how to vote. And they're confused and they're stupid. And they're like, well, you know, uh, poor Palestinians. I mean, let's just vote because that's just really not right. And so people are going out there and they claim to be Christians. Oh, I'm a Christian. But they have no relationship with God So therefore, they do not understand how to operate. They're standing there blinded just trying to make choices of, well, that sounds right. That sounds good. Well, I like that guy's hair. He'll probably be a good representative. Let everybody come on on to America. We got plenty of room, man. We'll we'll build a housing complex in West Texas and put them out there. I'm just telling you. They're supposed to be God. They're supposed to know God. They're supposed to have a relationship with God. If Yuzu would have had a relationship with God, he'd have known he's never to touch the ark. And that it should have never been on a new cart. That's the way the heathens sent it to him. The Philistines. So they take it to this guy's house. Obed-Edom. Okay? Now those of you that have been around for a while, you know I've preached this message. But I think maybe I was just getting warmed up to really preach it. It says it was in the house. It says the ark of the God... The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all of his house. How come it was 20 years in Abinadab's house, and he was not blessed, and it's three months in Obed-Edom's house, and the people go tell David, I know Obed-Edom's blessed. Now, how was he blessed? Was his tomato gardens, they were just bigger? His flowers were bigger? You know, uh, uh, he had a smile on his face all the time? Uh, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. But blessed means blessed, okay? So it had to be something that was so obvious that everybody could see it going by his house. They always heard Obed-Edom and they're singing. I don't know. His name means worshipful servant. But you see what I'm saying? It was an obvious thing. Folks, listen to me. We've got to take our level of Christianity and our level of a relationship with God that it's visible to the world that we're blessed. You don't have to go tell somebody you're a Christian. They say, man, you're, you're different. You're a Christian? Yeah. See it. This is the way we should be. This is a gospel. This gospel here that's preached is talking about the power of God on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead on the inside of us. We should be the happiest, most prosperous people on this earth. Somebody comes up and having a hard time. You say, you need some here, man. Take it all. Pray I get more. God bless me. Everything I put my hand to prospers. This is the way we should be. This is what we should be expecting. We should be expecting that our relationship is so good, strong with the Lord, that we become like Obed-Edom and everybody sees that we're prosperous. Now, there's two more verses I want to give you. If you go into the book of Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 15, it talks about... Before that, it talks about 
all of the about bringing the ark in and they finally got it and they knew it was supposed to be on the, the Levitical priest and they knew how to carry it and they did it right. But verse 24 says something. It gives this list of people's names because David then got the ark back to, the, to, to Jerusalem, the city of David and the place where he was prepared for it. And then he got all the people in order to do what their service was supposed to do. And it starts, I can't say all these names. But anyway, he lines them all up. And it says, you know, they got Shebna and Jehoshaphat and, and whatever this guy's name was, and Nathaniel and Amaziah and Zechariah and Benaniah and Eliezer. The priests were all to blow the trumpets for the ark of God and Obed-Edom. And Jehiah, doorkeepers for the ark. Now, I've done research on this before because there's several people in the Bible named Obed-Edom. But it seems like most Christian texts refer this Obed-Edom as the guy that had it in his house. And he's like, look, if you're going to take the ark, then i got to go with the ark. And I, don't, I, I can't blow no trumpet. I, I'm not any good. I'm not, a, I'm not a Levitical priest. But can I just stand outside the door? Can I just be the doorkeeper? Can I just open the door for the priest? Can I do that? Can I just, just when I see him come, he's like, oh, let me get that door. He said, can I just be the doorkeeper? I don't have to say anything. I just want to be close to the ark. I just want to be close to the presence of God. I, don't, I, I may not even be able to go into the, to the room there, but at least I'm here at the door and I can feel the presence of Almighty God, the God that blessed me, the God who was living in my house for three months and I got in a relationship with, got to know and got to have fellowship with, and, and, and I just can't, I'm addicted. I can't not be in the presence of God. I'll just be a doorkeeper. Uh, woo! So that takes me to Psalms 84.10 that says a day in the court is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell on the tents of the wicked. I, this is a psalm written by the sons of Korah. So I, I can't, I don't want to stretch the truth, but I'm going to preach with a broad brush. This was a song to the sons of Korah. Those people he's talking about that was in there writing a song because they were in there in the presence of God with David. What if it was about Obed-Edom? I, I can't prove it, but I'm just saying, what if that Psalms 84 was written about Obed-Edom? Because they saw this smiling guy stand at the front door all the time, singing songs. And just, I'm so glad I'm a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I'd better be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than out there in the tents of them wicked people and he's opening the door. Come on in, come on in, come on in. Whoo, man, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. What if it was written because of what Obed-Edom did? One more verse. And then I promise I'll close and not get into the 76 points till later. Go to 2 Chronicles 25-22. 2 Chronicles 25, 22. I want to show you something that is so amazing. To me, it's more amazing than what I've already preached. 2 Chronicles 25, 22. It says, and Judah was defeated by Israel. So, okay. And every man fled to his tent. Then Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, the king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoshaphat at Beth Shemesh, 
And they brought him to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, 400 cubits. And he took all the gold and the silver and all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom, the treasuries of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. Do you see that? Now listen to me, folks. It, was no, it cannot be the same Obed-Edom because this was 200 years later. But why does the Bible write it and say, and he took the gold and silver and all the articles that were found in the house of God with Obed-Edom. And I, I know it can't be him, but maybe it was somebody that took on his name that he taught and taught and taught, and they all just became Obed-Edom. Now, again, I'm painting with a broad brush here. And there was just some crazy old dude who would not turn loose of the ark and the things of God. And so they said, man, I don't want to kill him in here. Just load him in the truck with the rest of it. I can't prove this, but I'm just saying it says they had to took him, Obed-Edom. And this is, no, I am not leaving my duty station. I'm going wherever the ark is or where the presence of God is. Nothing can take me from it. And what I'm telling you today, church, is I'm telling you, I, I told you this and I've told you this. I, am, I don't know how things are going to go in the world. I, I'm not prophesying and telling you, oh, yay, hey, thus saith the Lord, it's going to go this way or that way. I'm telling you in my heart, I know we're headed for hard times. And I am preparing myself, but at the same time, I'm realizing it's not hard times. It's different times. It's times, though, that you have to flow in the things of God. You have got to know God. It's time to shake the box of post-toasties, and they just keep pouring out. It's time to see the sick healed and the lame walk. And the blind see. It's time to see people come to your house and knocking on the door and say, look, I don't know what's going on with you. I just know you're blessed. I'm miserable. Tell me what to do. I, I, one of my favorite books is by, uh, it was a biography of a minister named John G. Lake. And it's called Adventures in God. And in it, he would tell me, it's just so, he, was in, he was in Africa. And this is in the 1900s. And uh, he would sit there. In his house, every morning, he would dress, suit, tie. He would get his, his wife would make his breakfast. He'd be drinking his coffee. He'd be reading the paper, and people would be lining up outside the door as they were getting breakfast done. She'd put up the dishes. She'd put everything up. He would look at his wife and say, are you ready? And she'd say, yes, I'm ready. And they'd go open the door, and there'd be a string of people, as far as they could see, to come to their house prayer she understood her gifts of the spirit which was discerning of spirits and the first person walk in the door and she'd look at the person and say uh the lord's showing me that you have a spirit of adultery in your life and that you've been with this other woman if you repent god will heal you and if the person said oh no that's not me she'd say okay well you need to leave go to the back of the line next she'd never let him get to her husband and she'd get the next one come up and he'd say, oh, yes, the Lord shows me that you're a liar and you're a cheat. 
And if the person fell down and said, oh, God, I'm sorry, I am. And she'd pray with them, give them to repentance, and then send them to her husband. And her husband would lay hands on them, pray for them, they instantaneously be healed. Every morning this took place in their life. This is a place where we've got to get to, church. I'm just telling you, our relationship with God has got to be up to the notch that we're like Obed-Edom. We hang on to our, our Savior, Jesus, and we're not going to turn loose of Him for nothing. And we're not compromising our integrity and compromising our, 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 our belief for nothing. And we're going to stand our ground and say, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm going to live here in the presence of God. Ain't nothing taking me out. And then you'll see victory. Whoo, maybe tough going around for everybody else, but you're going to have victory. Nobody can understand why your vehicle just doesn't run out of fuel. Just keeps getting multiplied in there. Everybody else says, oh, I don't have any fuel. I can't go do anything. Oh, I got fuel. I got plenty of fuel. What do you want me to pick up for you? I don't know. My truck's just been running. I'm getting like 700 miles to the gallon. Show's empty, but it just keeps running. Amen? Amen. Well, stand to your feet. We're going to keep going on this about developing a relationship. I want to show you some principles, show you some things, give you some pointers, give you some stuff that if you say, oh, I already know all that, well, then write it down and tell somebody else. Amen? So let me have my prayer team come down. Listen to me. If you're out there watching this video and, and, or if you're live with us today, you don't know Jesus? Well, listen, I'm telling you, he's the one you want to know. You need to know your creator before it's too late because you don't want to be standing at the great white throne judgment because at the great white throne judgment, no one escapes. Everyone goes to hell. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we're judged for our works we did here on this earth, what we've done for Jesus, but we're still in. And so I'm telling you, the only way to be right with God, the only way to, be, to know that you're, you're going to go to heaven is to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. And you can do that real easily. All you got to say is, Jesus, come into my life. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and gave your life for me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me in your blood. And right there, God will touch you wherever you are, and he'll speak to you, and you'll know that you know that you're right with God. And so if you're in here today and you're not sure you're right with God, what's why we have our prayer team up here? Or maybe you just need prayer today for anything. Maybe you just know that maybe, maybe you've been the house of Abinadab and you haven't been the house of Obed-Edom. Well, come up and pray with somebody and say, look, I want to get on the right path. I want to get going down the right road. Amen? So if, I just want to bless you. I pray for your thanksgiving. Listen, don't get in a fight with that Grumpy relative. Just, just, just don't, don't, don't provoke it. Bless them. Amen. Be the greatest blessing at your Thanksgiving. Be better than cranberry sauce. Amen. So let me pray for you. Father, I just pray over this whole congregation. All those watching, listening, those in here. I pray, oh, Heavenly Father, that we and our relationship will grow stronger and stronger and stronger with you. That, Lord, we will truly do a Jeremiah 9.23. We're going to know you. It's going to be the highlight of our life to know our God. And I thank you, Lord, that as we go into this world, let us be bright and shining lights. Let us be people, Lord, that will, 
will, will, will shine forth your love, your grace, your mercy, and that people will be touched and blessed and healed. Lord, I just declare that as we go into Thanksgiving with family, Lord, that you just give us the most amazing anointing, amazing grace on our life to just be a blessing to everyone we're around, Lord. And we thank you and we love you. And, oh, Lord, I thank you for your goodness of sending us Jesus. So, Lord, bless them now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church.